Hi, Spring fans. Welcome to a beautiful podcast. I'm your host, Spring Developer Advocate Josh Long, and this show is all about the real heroes behind Spring and its ecosystem. Hi, Spring fans. Welcome to another installment of a beautiful podcast. How are you today? I've been on the road with my kid, Kimley. We've been visiting. We went to Toronto, Canada for the, uh, uh, I was there for the uh, Spring One Tour installment there, and now we're in beautiful Berlin, Germany. I love traveling because uh, wherever I go, I seem to have friends that welcome me when I get there. And uh, a lot of these are people I haven't seen since the pandemic, right? So this has been um, so much more fun than it would have normally been in years past. Uh, That pandemic made the world seem so vast and uh, impassable. But now things are starting to feel uh, smaller and and more cozy again. Yesterday, my kid and I went to Hamburg, Germany, a quick two-hour train ride away uh, to see my favorite hamburger, Spring Tools lead, Martin Lippert, who's been on this very show before. Uh, He showed my daughter and me a amazing, an amazing time, just absolutely amazing. Uh, We ate, ate delicious local food, saw the heights and spread of Hamburg by foot, boat, train, and car. Uh, Absolutely beautiful, stellar. I'll never forget it. Uh, So thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much, Martin. Uh, As always, I owe you for, well, for everything. You're always such a uh, a gracious person and uh, uh, just generous to a a fault. And um, it was just on full display yesterday. You're amazing. Um, uh, Taking time like that to take care of not just me, but but my daughter and me, uh, that's, yeah, you're a gentleman and a saint, my friend. Uh, in general, I just, you know, you may not have noticed this, but I love the spring team. I consider them close friends, uh, which in a lot of ways, by the way, can be stronger than family. And it warms my heart to see them. I went to the UK and I spent some of the weekend with my friend, Dr. Sire, who took the time to show me the beautiful city of Ramsgate. Ramsgate is a, um, uh, it's paradise. It's beautiful. Uh, so I spent one of the most uh memorable evenings uh, with my friend uh, Rossin Steinchev who uh, who's all, you know all these people have been on the show before by the way uh, who and uh, Rossin you know helped me see new aspects of London he came uh, into the city by the way to spend time from Cambridge it's a uh, you know there's there's train rides involved in all of this so far you can imagine um, uh, Ramsgate that trip was a train ride uh, coming into uh, Hamburg was a trains ride train ride uh, the uh, the the uh, trip for us and from another city far away to London to see me was a train ride. Um, and then, you know, that, that reminds me of, uh, just, you know, the trip I had taken, uh, after, after that, I went to Spain and, uh, uh, I went with my partner and her mother and, uh, spring IO founder, uh, Sergio Alomar, who's also been on the show. He personally came out and showed us such an amazing time in a beautiful city about an hour's, about an hour's drive from Barcelona. So to come here to Germany and to have Martin show us around uh, and then to have all these wonderful people show us around, uh, I just, I couldn't be more grateful. It is a privilege and I'm feeling particularly grateful uh, as I record this, uh, this, this episode today. Uh, these people are my heroes and inspirations. And so you can imagine um, what a rush it is to have these uh, amazing people and their boundless kindness uh, receive me, well, not just me, but also my family. Maybe it's just because they, they think my family's cool. That could be too. Maybe I'm not the reason they're being so kind. I don't know. Either way, uh, thank you. Um, now, of course, I didn't just come to Berlin to uh, visit uh, colleagues and friends. I uh, also spoke at this absolutely massive conference called We Are Developers that I had, uh, I heard, uh, 
uh, the, sorry, the, the show had, uh, that, uh, as far as I know, around 8,000 people. Maybe it's less. I don't know. But it was, yeah, if that's right, you know, then I, I can believe it. It was enormous, absolutely enormous. And if I'm honest, I hadn't even heard of this show before. I don't know if it existed prior to the pandemic. I don't know. I just, I'd never been. Um, it, it probably did. Yeah, yeah. It, I think I do remember now. Yeah, it, it existed. But what a what an enormous show. Um, it's a cross cross disciplinary sort of conference. So lots of, uh, uh, you know, Python and Java and JavaScript and whatever, everything, uh, everything in between. Right. Um, and um, yeah, wow. It was just what a rush. I mean, it's crazy. They had DJ Tiesto, like one of the most prolific, if not the most prolific name in electronic music. He, he was there as the DJ that night. Um, uh, yeah, amazing. And uh, I had the second largest room for my talk, uh, short of the, you know, second to the uh, the keynote room. Uh, and that the room I was in could handle 450 people. But of course, uh, there was people standing on the walls and, and all that. So it was, I, I have no doubt we got to 500 or so. It was crazy. It was just a wonderful experience. Um, and actually, that was, it, it reminds me of that experience I had in Spring I.O. just a few weeks ago uh, in Barcelona, where I did, uh, you know, with the rest of the uh, Spring team, I did the keynote. And that was, you know, more than a thousand people. Uh, it's just amazing. I mean, just it feels so good uh, uh, to be back uh, before crowds, to see these amazing people, to do uh, the thing I love to do so much, which is help bring Spring. Uh, so thank you, everybody. Thanks for making these last several weeks of travel abroad uh, all the more pleasant. Uh, I really needed it. I would be, I'd be absolutely lying uh, if I didn't say it felt great. Um, and you know what else feels great? Seeing all the new boundaries in which spring seems to to uh, uh, impress itself. Uh, and uh, there is nobody more uh, that more epitomizes the possibilities uh, on that uh, in that vein, in that uh, uh, in that effort uh, than. Today's guest, Sebastian Deleuze. Sebastian is a uh, spring team, um, uh, you know, colleague, but uh, he's he's one of those folks that works to take spring to new frontiers. He's our, our uh, you know, uh, there's a Star Trek mef- reference in here somewhere, but, but uh, you know, uh, you may know him from his uh, endless work to, uh, to extend spring to Kotlin, if you've used Spring in Kotlin before, if you've used Spring in Kotlin before, then you've worked with his uh, work. You know, you've, you've worked uh, using the code that he helped uh, inspire and uh, contribute. A lot of what he has done uh, is just—it's the slow work of community uh, integration, right? It's the slow work of uh, taking Spring to places where we don't have control over the uh, outcome. You know, we have to collaborate uh, and. You know, spring does that. I think spring is at its best when when it does that. When we extend uh, spring beyond its natural sort of uh, comfort and control zone. And so Kotlin, you know, it turned out great. I mean, the Kotlin team have just been uh, I, uh, lovely is an understatement. I mean, they've just been amazing uh, in in their willingness to make Kotlin the ideal place for spring. And we've reciprocated. At least I hope we. I hope that everybody feels like we have. We've reciprocated by trying to make spring the ideal uh, framework for Kotlin. You know, we've uh, we've got Kotlin code in the Spring framework itself, right, in the code. It's not a separate jar. It's in the regular jars that you consume as a Java developer. 
uh, there's Kotlin code there if you want it um, as a Kotlin developer, right? And and why wouldn't you? And so to you know, I can talk to him about all that stuff, uh, familiar well-tread territory uh, in today's episode, but uh, we don't need to, first of all, because he's been on the show before. So this is his second time, I think, at least. Uh, but also because this time around, he's here to talk about a whole two or three new frontiers for uh, for Spring, including um, Spring Native, you know, and, and the new work in Spring Framework 6 uh, and Spring Boot 3 around AOT, uh, including project-laden and including WebAssembly. So uh, this conversation, needless to say, really, really, really amazing. This this hints at some of the amazing new frontiers in which Spring will uh, uh, is already or will be hopefully one day, right? Uh, I uh, I hope you get something out of this. I certainly did. I hope you learned something. I definitely did. And I, you know, this is the thing that's what I, 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 I only mentioned this because it underscores just how amazing the work uh, is my full-time job is to have insider knowledge of what the open source spring team is doing. That is to say, I trawl the GitHub issues and I look at the source code and I do all the things that anybody could do from the outside. But I also have these people on Slack. I, I, I trawl through all the private messages and, and all that to see what the open source team are working on and what priorities we've got. And I still, despite having a, a full-time job doing that, I still learn new things by just getting these people on the horn and uh, and recording their conversations, and so um, I hope you know, act, you know, the, one of the nice things about these podcasts, I hope you'll agree, I hope you'll find that the, the this is the case, is that you can you get the same perspective as I would, right? Um, uh, by having the privilege to talk to these people, right? Um, and that's it's just really great that they're willing to take the time to to do that, to support that effort. Uh, and so this episode was great for me. I'm hoping it's great for you. This is, this is one of my all time, uh, you know, this kind of conversation is one of my all time favorite kinds of things to do uh, just because I learned so much. It's nutrient dense, you know, it's calorically dense uh, in terms of knowledge and, and uh, wisdom gained. So enjoy. Okay, take two. This is a second chance. Uh, this is a second opportunity. Hopefully this works. I haven't actually, uh, most of the time when I record things uh, with this thing, I have no confidence in it. It's worked reliably, this Zoom, you know, but um, I don't trust it for some reason because it, it broke one time and that's pretty scary. So anyway, second time, here we go. I, I made a mistake in the first recording. I'm ha- I'm, <laughs> I'm very happy you're here, my friend. Uh, you and I had this, uh, we, you were on the show before. That's been a few years. It's not that long ago, though. But what's interesting to me about this is the stuff that we talked about in that episode is very, very different from the stuff that we've talked about in this episode. You are very, you're one of the few people where, you know, just a couple of years and everything has changed for, for you, you know, for what you were working on. And so, on. so, yeah, yeah. I, I, I like to work on, yeah. Various topics. So initially, I worked on introducing the Kotlin support in Spring, for example. 
right? Uh, then I was, uh, yeah, interested by this efficiency topic and, uh, yeah, allowing to start Spring application instantly, uh, lower memory consumption. So that's what drive me in working on, on native and then drive the work around Spring IoT transformation and collaborating with the GraalVM team. So yeah, uh, and, and yeah, WebAssembly is also something I really follow closely. So I, I like this kind of, yeah, new topics where we can reuse uh, existing Spring programming model and we can apply it to, to new places uh, with new capabilities. I mean, yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely. That's the big, uh, big stuff, but you're also a Spring framework committer and yeah. you've worked on a, a million things in, in Spring and Spring Boot and, and so on. So it's, it's, there's lots of people that if, if, if their only job was they worked on Spring framework, that would be a big deal. But the fact that you do that and you're also out there doing these huge pushes for things like Kotlin and for, uh, you know, AOT and native and, you know, just awesome. I, I love though. I love to watch your career. I love to watch the things that you choose to work on. It's always very interesting. Thanks. And I thank you. That's what I'm trying to say is thank you. I, <laughs> I, uh, we've only, I wonder what our conversation will be like in another two years or whatever, another year. You know, it seems like you're always doing something crazy and different and interesting that pushes spring into beautiful new territories, you know, new, new, um, new uh, horizons. That would be interesting. I, I think the, the native story will be pretty, uh, will be pretty long and the IoT story will be pretty long. We are just at the beginning and it's opening yeah. new capabilities that will be applied to various use cases. So native is one use case, but I'm pretty sure there will be other ones. So yeah, maybe some kind of yeah iteration ar around what the Spring IoT transformation allow uh, to do in the future, maybe. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Well, I mean, you you say that we're just at the beginning. That's not exactly true. We're three years into this, right? Like, uh, yeah. <laughs> it feels like the beginning, but in terms of the potential horizons that lay before us, I guess. But uh, it, it's we've got people working on this for. For years you know it, yeah it's yeah. amazing yeah we, we started uh so uh, spring native was co-created by andy clement and, and myself to try to provide a way to run spring application uh as graal vm native images so basically compiling spring boot application to native executable that start instantly and consume less memory uh it has been an experimental project until now so we have been doing a few iterations. We have been rewriting the engine three times, maybe. Uh, we have been exploring various paths. And, and that's interesting because that provides us current very good insights about where we, we should go in terms of implementation for Spring Framework 6 and Spring Boot 3, because we are currently uh, using all this experience that we had during the, those three years working on Spring Native, which is currently in mm -hmm. beta status. Uh, people usually ask when Spring Native 1.0 GA will be released. My answer uh, is never because the real Spring Native GA will be in fact Spring Boot 3, uh, Spring Boot, Spring Boot 3.0 GA based on Spring Framework 6. And it will provide out of the box native support. And, and, and basically we are working a lot on those IoT transformations. So IoT stands for ahead of time transformation. So basically, yeah. We now have some extension points um, triggered by the Gradle and Maven plugin that allow to do some optimization, some code generation, some code transformation during the builds in order to provide a more optimized uh, uh, runtime code path. 
and, yeah. and we are leveraging leveraging Jack for the native uh, native topic. So we are leveraging all this work we did for three years in order to provide uh, support out of the box in Spring Framework uh, in Spring Framework six and Spring Boot three, but with a new level of quality. I mean, we had the experimental project where we did great thing experiments, etc. But now we are trying to implement that support with the level of quality that Spring Framework. Uh, uh, Jürgen, Phil Webb, uh, all the team, yeah. Stefan Nicole, Brian Kreuzer, et cetera, uh, once, and that's not the same thing. Uh, so no. I, I think the, out the outcome in terms of quality, in terms of uh, uh, compatibility uh, uh, will be will be different um, for, for users and for ourselves in terms of maintenance. I imagine so too. I, I know there's a lot of work uh, between the last version of Spring Native and the first you know, milestones of uh, Spring Framework 6 and Spring Boot 3. Uh, that's actually a good, a good point. You mentioned that this ver the GA version of Spring Native is Spring Boot 3, right? Not Spring Framework 6, because that's not the whole story, right? And I, I knew that too, but I, I kind of wonder, uh, where will be, wh what will be the distribution of the components? I imagine the, the hints will live in the various libraries. Right, as opposed to in Spring Native, they'll go to Spring Data and Spring Security and Spring Batch and Spring Integration, um, because they will be based on Spring Framework six. So that will be, I guess, the hints mechanism will live in Spring Framework, right? But the AOT plugin, the Maven plugin, is that going to be in Spring Boot? You know, what's yeah, the yeah, yeah that, that's an interesting question. So values points first. Um, Native image require configuration to run libraries that require reflection, resources, proxies, etc. And uh, in Spring Native, we try to provide support for both Spring and the and the libraries that are used by Spring, for example, uh, Netty or, 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 or others. Uh, in Spring Boot 3 and Spring Framework 6, we try to draw a clear line between what is Spring responsibility. So basically making sure that Spring uh, support native out of the box, and what is the support for various libraries, flyaways, uh, Tomcat, uh, etc. Uh, so we are currently collaborating with the GuardVM team uh, 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 and other frameworks vendors on a shared initiative that we initially started. Uh, so it, it was initially a Spring plus uh, GuardVM team initiative, and then others have joined. Uh, that's not yet publicly announced, but that will be in a few days or weeks. Uh, and, and basically the goal is to have a place where um, when some projects can't provide directly native support because it's it's too early, because they are not ready to do that, because they don't know how to test that, the community or Spring team, for example, can contribute the native configuration for Flyway for various libraries. And, and so it's important to understand that yeah, if if you are looking after the support for a specific library, it won't it won't be maintained by Spring. It will be maintained uh, on GraalVM side in a shared uh, repository uh, where the community will be able to contribute, and that will apply for Spring, but also for other frameworks. The goal here is to really to try to draw a path for the future of GraalVM that is sustainable and where each framework don't try to provide its own uh, a configuration for for the shared libraries that everybody is using. So that's yeah. the part outside of Spring. 
Uh, now, uh, on Springside, uh, I, I think most of the mechanism, like the, what we call the runtime ins, the test of those ins, uh, the fact that we provide entry points for configuring the various part of the Spring portfolio, most of that lives in the Spring framework side. Okay. Right. So technically, you can build a, a pure Spring framework application that does not use Spring Boots. We only do that mainly for tests, but yeah. it's, it's technically possible uh, if you wire things manually. Uh, and of course, Spring Boots will integrate that uh, and is integrating that out of the box Spring Boot 3 in the Gradle and Maven plugin, provide default right. integration, provide ins for the, the configuration that is uh, provided at Spring Boot level. So everything is like usual with Spring Boots configured out of the box, it's working. But really, most yeah. of the most of the core mechanism live in in Spring Framework. Originally, mm -hmm. we were not sure if we would put more stuff on Spring Boots, more stuff on Spring Framework. It's really all the core mechanism are in Spring Framework. The portfolio project like Spring Security, Spring Data, etc., are leveraging the, the extension points uh, related to AOT and native that are living in Spring Framework to provide mm -hmm. their own. Uh, runtime ins. ins, and then Spring Boot is really configuring <laughs> everything uh, in an integration fashion. Like you don't have to add Spring Native, you don't have to add native build tools configuration at your build right. tools level. Everything is working out of the box. Okay. Okay. So the Maven plugins, that's all still Spring Boot. There's no more. Is there any more AOT plugin, or is that just now the Spring Boot Maven plugin? There is an AOT plugin, but it's it's natively integrated in Spring Boot, so you don't have to configure something else. Uh, or ah, I see. Else. Okay. So basically, a project that is generated on start.spring.io with Spring Boot free, out of mm -hmm. the box, it's it's it support native for both Maven and Gradle without having to to add custom stuff in, in your uh, in, in your project, you don't have to check the Spring Native or a native right. checkbox. It's it's really supported out of the box in the right. Spring Boot Free Maven uh, parent POM or the Gradle plugin. It, it's supported ah, out okay. of the box. And you have a you still have a, a native Maven profile. Yeah, yeah. Same okay. same thing here. You have a native Maven profile. Uh, you have some specific uh, um, task for Gradle like native compile. Under the hood, yeah. it's leveraging native build tools. So this is the same story. We leverage the native build tools. If you want to build directly the native image on your machine, we will provide build tools, uh, build pack support uh, for building that in, in a container. Uh, it's for, for user, I, I think that will be close. Just the level of quality won't be the same. Uh, the design is pretty different. Uh, and the maintainability and the quality will reach uh, a, a whole new level, basically. No doubt. Um, okay, so let me, so let's step back here for a second. Um, sometimes I jump right into the topic <clears throat> and I forget that some people may not be on the same page as us. First of all, you're Sebastian Deleuze. I should have said that earlier. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then second of all, uh, GraalVM is a interesting place to, GraalVM's native image compiler is an interesting place to uh, deploy your applications or to package your applications. It works by removing everything from the code that is not used, it's not reachable, uh, and then keeping what's left and then turning that into a native operating system and architecture specific binary, right? So Mac OS, Linux, Windows, whatever, um, optimized binary. That native binary has its own runtime. It doesn't need a JRE. 
and it's and and it's fast, right? It starts up very quickly, has very small memory footprint. The problem, of course, is that um, a lot of the things that a Java application does cannot be detected at compile time, right? So reflection, proxies, these kinds of things. So then it, one of the things that we tried to do with Spring Native was to figure out ways to provide that configuration. Uh, and then that config, those configurations are JSON files that uh, get fed into the native image compiler. We have a, a, a programming model where you can write code, Java code that gets run at compile time, not at runtime. That's a Spring Boot extension point, uh, Spring Native extension point rather. And uh, that, that Java code dynamically, it, 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 it inspects the, the shape of your object graph and it contributes configuration that gets, rend that gets rendered as JSON files and then fed into the native image compiler so that your application still works. Most of this people don't need to worry about. Then eventually that spring that's that 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 mechanism got even more intelligent when we realized that we can use the 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 Maven plugin that we have the AOT plugin we can use that not just as a way to provide this configuration but also to reduce the need for the configuration so we can act on the code before it gets fed into the native image compiler and do things to it to reduce the things that might otherwise need that configuration like reflection. So one thing that we have there is the uh, transpilation from Java configuration at configuration classes into Spring Framework functional configuration, which is another thing that you created basically, right? Uh, in Spring I, Framework I pushed 5. it. Uh, basically, I, I, Jürgen and others created, but I, I pushed that kind of programming model via Spring, my Spring yeah. experimental project. And also indeed, it, it, we had a realization that <clears throat> providing Spring configuration in a programmatic fashion, since RALVM is designed to analyze Java code, uh, programmatic mm -hmm. Java code, and shrink what is not used, what's much much more efficient than the uh, annotation and reflection based uh, approach that is yeah. maybe the best fit for 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 for, for RALVM. But but that's required, as you pointed out, to analyze uh, during the build what will be used, uh, uh, what will be available at runtime, what won't be available, shrink what is not used. And uh, it, it's not a transparent process because that requires evaluating and fixing some uh, dynamic configuration at build time. So mm -hmm. the, the interesting question and where you draw the, where you, you draw the line between what can still change at runtime because I mean, we are not developing a Rust application or something that uh, Java is still dynamic. We try mm -hmm. to remove the part of dynamicity that is not required. So, for example, if we take a closed world assumption in terms of class pass, we right. uh, we can do some optimization because we know that uh, only the classes available at build time will be available, and we can shrink all the, the other uh, um, uh, class based conditions. So it's 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 also an editorial approach where we need to decide where we draw the line, and this is all the discussion we had with the Spring Boot team, the Spring Framework team, and the Spring Portfolio teams about what kind of trade-off we want to provide, what kind of optimization are safe to do, and what mm -hmm. kind of flexibility at runtime we want to keep. Uh, and I think that's pretty interesting uh, 
discussions. Absolutely. Uh, it has forced us to build with that assumption, you know, in mind that this will be a, the stuff we build will will have two two dimensions: runtime and build time. You know, and it's uh, I, I don't think it was actually that. I to to be fair, I, I think because Spring has this really good programming model, yeah. and it gives you all this metadata, it wasn't really. I mean, there's a lot of work in Spring Native to to add the support, but Spring itself, the the, the various libraries, you know, these these hints, these uh, configuration classes that provide this extra information, they're very shallow most of the time. You know, there's yeah. not a lot of code there. They are shallow and they are they are not really native specific. We we call them runtime hints. Uh, yeah. They are really what what we did in Spring Boot free and Spring Framework six. And uh, uh, Stefan Nicole and 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 Phil Webb has especially work on that. Is really refining and and redesigning what we did in Spring Native to really focus more on IoT than native. And native right. is just a special use case where we <coughs> leverage the, the head of time infrastructure. So right. uh, those runtime ins uh, uh, explain in a non-native specific terms. It just describes the reflection entries, proxies, uh, et cetera, that will be required at runtime, but without starting your application. Uh, and that's interesting because while building this ahead of time engine, we were able to leverage a lot of the Spring infrastructure. Uh, yeah. So basically just reusing what we had. And the big difference compared to Spring Native is that we had the possibility to instead of patching and trying to work around some Spring framework uh, behavior or Spring Boot behavior, we have the opportunity to just directly uh, add support uh, uh, to AOT and native directly by modifying Spring framework code base. And honestly, yeah. that's night and days for us because instead of, in terms of quality, in terms of design, uh, that mm -hmm. change everything because we can provide the same foundation uh, without having to patch things externally with a, an additional project. Uh, and I think right. that's, a, that's a game changer. Right. I mean, and that's the other thing is what you did before was you added this functionality without changing core Spring, which I always thought yeah. was amazing. You know, people don't realize that we, Spring Framework 5 is already out there, mm. right? And so Spring Native supports Spring Framework 5 without redoing Spring Framework 5, without baking it into the core layer there. And Spring is flexible enough that this is possible, but even even still, wouldn't you rather just have it built in? Of course you would. So Spring Framework Six is, yeah, I, I the results are very clean. I think uh, from the user's perspective, but definitely from our perspective as well, right? From uh, yeah, uh, given the constraints, I, I'm pretty proud of what we did. Uh, mm -hmm. The constraints were the constraint to not modify Spring Framework and Spring Boot and achieve to have a reasonably way to run native application. Uh, yeah, that, that was the biggest challenge we had. And and now, uh, yeah, that's that's so much pleasure to be able to modify Spring Framework and adapt and to remove all the shortcuts that we took to just get it right. That's, uh, yeah, that, that's a pleasure. <laughs> it's, it's coming along very nicely. So uh, as we record, it's uh, middle of 2022. Um, What's in Spring Framework six and boot three so far? What are we? What's the timeline? Because the the clock is ticking. The very scary end of the year is coming. <laughs> uh, <laughs> like uh, you know, what can people use soon? Yeah. Or so um, 
what is currently usable in current Spring uh, uh, Spring Boot and Spring Framework Millestone? So Spring Boot three Millestones and Spring Framework six Millestone, uh, as we speak, is just basic native application. If you are using the latest Millestone, I think that's Spring Boot three M three. Uh, we are working on the next uh, on the next one, uh, which we provide. So we are currently working on that, so uh, uh, no promise, but I have the feeling that we provide something that is pretty close uh, uh, in terms of support than what provides Spring Native. Uh, currently, my, my day work with my colleagues is basically to make sure that the Spring Native samples uh, are working with Spring Boot 3 ah, yeah. without any uh, Spring Native involvement. So uh, for example, this week, I have our uh, Spring MVC plus Tomcat sample that is working great. I'm adding support for controller uh, controller advice for uh, HTTP entity. And uh, since we do it very differently with so much more tests, etc., I, I think it it will support much more use cases than Spring Native did. So currently, the focus is to uh, provide web support, so WebFlux, mm -hmm. uh, uh, Web MVC. Uh, but basically, we are trying to port every samples that we have uh, in Spring wow. Native and, and make it work with Spring Boot 3. Um, on AOT, so there is really two levels of testing. We are we are working on making sure that our ahead of time transformations are working with all the, the application on the GVM because you can mm -hmm. run your application on the GVM with AOT transformation, uh, currently mainly for testing purpose. Uh, uh, we try to provide testing infrastructure. So Brian Cozel has worked a lot on that. A native build is pre already pretty long, okay? You have to wait quite a lot of time and we want yeah. to provide a better developer experience. So uh, multiple improvement there. First, the, the GraalVM team now provides a quick mode. So you can build on the developer side uh, with the flag uh, that will on development side, you don't care about the footprint and the size, et cetera. So you have a mode where you can do less optimization on GraalVM side and, and create a native image faster. That's that's the first angle. The second right. one is in terms <clears throat> of uh, tests, uh, you can run your tests in AOT modes. We provide, um, we provide an agent mode that can verify that the, the reflection calls that are required uh, by your application uh, are anticipated by the IoT engine. So the goal is basically to avoid the need too much to run your test in native mode that require compiling all your tests with a new native image in addition to your application and just right. get a reasonable confidence that all the reflection calls, the proxy uh, uh, invocation, uh, the resources that you will need when you will run on native side uh, you can check that on the GVM side with the AOT transformation, et cetera. So uh, I, I think with this kind of uh, improvements, you should be able to have a, sh a short development cycle on the GVM, like you do usually. And with improvement in terms of quality and the, the tooling that we are going to provide and the developer experience refinements, the goal is to, to, to really defer the native image creation later. Uh, because ultimately, that's really... Uh, an optimization for deployment. So sure, right. developer need. To, I don't say ship your application to production without testing on native. Okay, I no, don't no, say that. <laughs> but your your regular developer experience of a Spring Boot application should not change. We right. will provide additional helpers 
to validate on the JVM side that your application should run well on native. Uh, in, in order Without to, having to do the expensive compilation. Yeah, for, exactly. And, and basically avoid this cycle of I compile to native, I have an error because a <clears> section <throat> entry is missing, I am adding it, I do another cycle. So just provide tooling on the JVM to check uh, all of that. If you need to get the errors of missing reflection entries, instead of getting them one by one, you just get all of them, uh, uh, yeah. one shot, and then you take the, 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 the you, you fix that yeah. basically one, one time. So I, I, I think there is a lot of improvement in terms of developer experience that will come to uh, make native less painful from a developer experience and keep the benefits in terms of, I want to deploy an optimized container image uh, on the cloud, uh, on premise, etc. Uh, so wow. that's uh, that's uh, that's what we are working on. But that's a huge deal. We we are progressing in terms of support. So uh, yeah, we want to. So for example, for Spring MVC support, I'm currently working on that. Uh, I, I think we really would like to support all the construct like con controller devices, the various way mm -hmm. of serializing stuff, uh, getting much more tests. Uh, on, on Spring Native, I think we had too much integration test on native side, and not enough test uh, of the of the core mechanism. So here yeah. we are providing 100% uh, test for the core mechanism, testing everything, and then uh, of course we validate with the native application, but that's really the last steps, and that's not the core uh, the core mechanism. Uh, another thing we are doing is, for example, the mechanism that. Uh, um, allow to infer the reflection entries that will be required for serialization instead of doing something specific for our Spring MVC, for WebLab, for Spring Data, et cetera. We try to provide a base infrastructure that can be reusable by for web, for data, for external users in order to, okay, I have a use case where, where, where I want to serialize something. Uh, yeah. It's maybe specific to my company, okay? That's not something that is supported by Spring. Spring pro provide me some base infrastructure to uh, ah. compute the complicated logic uh, in order to do that. So, yeah, mm, we, we try to provide some some base infrastructure like that that will allow people to do powerful things in, in their company. Okay, so what kind of serialization are we talking? So this is basically a way to, given an object, dump out the configuration that would be required to allow some third-party thing to serialize that object. Mm -hmm. Is that what I'm understanding? Yeah, yeah. So uh, we we basically try to provide some infrastructure for reflection-based serialization. So typically, mm -hmm. uh, providing the, the reflection uh, ins for uh, for fields, for constructor, and for properties. Mm -hmm. um, we try to also provide uh, support for non-serialization-based uh, uh, non-reflection-based non serialization mechanisms. So, for example. For the the Kotlinx uh, serialization library, that is requiring still a little bit of reflection, but that will be removed in in Kotlin 1.8. Uh, we provide support for this kind of of mechanism. Uh, uh, maybe something that is pretty important to specify: we are working on getting the base infrastructure right. Um, not all the potential optimization at AOT level will be provided at Spring Framework uh, 3.0 timeframe. We are really right. building the, the, the base infrastructure. 
we are focusing on compatibility right now. Mm -hmm. And uh, what we are what we are currently building, uh, and that's why I was saying it's the beginning of the story. It's the beginning yeah. of the GA story because yeah. we are providing new capabilities in Spring Framework to do optimization at build time without impacting the runtime uh, 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 right. footprints and maybe removing some part of the runtime footprints. But currently, we don't want to go too far and we want to get the, the base infrastructure right. So our focus is to provide this new IoT engine, apply it to provide a good uh, native compatibility. Uh, uh, and later, the community or ourselves could, for example, yeah. work on some more advanced uh, uh, IoT transformation for, I, I don't know, configuration properties binding without reflection at runtime, ah, uh, JSON serialization without uh, uh, reflection at runtime. Maybe there could be some uh, collaboration with the uh, Jackson team or whatever. Uh, uh, really super open. We are really looking forward the community to also experiment because mm -hmm. the IoT engine will be uh, documented and usable by the community. So uh, if some people want to do some crazy experiments and adding more build-time optimization uh, in a community-driven fashion, uh, that will be possible. The mechanism that we wow. are building are usable, are documented, will be documented. And yeah. uh, I, I think the community can play a very strong role in testing some new ideas that uh, may be incubated and maybe later integrated uh, into the, the, the Spring Boot and Spring Framework GA if we think that's, that's reasonable. Awesome. Oh, I'm so excited. That's really cool. I mean, this kind of stuff is because the community, they do a lot of work. If you just give them the core infrastructure, they tend to, you know, fill in their gaps uh, pretty quickly. That's yeah, the community has been super pushy on native IoT stuff. So there was a lot of people excited. And uh, honestly, we... This effort has been possible only because we had so much community feedback about, hey, uh, this use case is not working, please help me, et cetera. And, uh, and thanks to everybody in the community who have been so so patient. We have tried to provide a, a reasonably good uh, support on Spring Native side, listening feedbacks. Uh, so this has been super important. And I really hope that the community will continue to leverage the base infrastructure uh, that we are building at ahead of time level to implement some ideas that we even don't have yet. Ah, so cool. Oh, that's so cool. Um, okay, so there's that's interesting. So there's a generic programming model for providing hints for the few parts of the program. Like uh, right now we have this, um, we have hints, right, in, in native. And the way I like to think about it is there are some parts of your code that Spring cannot see. For example, if you do reflection inside of a method that isn't using proxy factory bean or whatever, mm -hmm. then Spring, the, the, the AOT engine that we provide cannot provide the configuration for that, right? So the reason we have these hints is because you might do something in your library that needs to generate hints that get fed into GraalVM, and now you have a, a way to do that, an extensible mechanism, kind of like Spring Auto Configuration, but for compile time. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that mechanism is there. And you're now saying there's also a, a, a particular mechanism for serialization of object graphs, right? Um, and we've also got this uh, transpilation story where you transpile Java configuration into runtime configuration. 
I know you're not focusing on optimizations or, or, or rather not any further optimizations for the moment, but um, what's the state of that translation? That the, when I looked at it last, uh, you could do bean definitions. You could actually functionally generate bean definitions, uh, but there were still some use cases. There were still some use cases like, for example, reflection, um, or sorry, um, field injection that would require reflection. Is that, is that right? Yeah, so we, are, we have improved the mechanism. Uh, honestly, the design is uh, much, much powerful. And again, uh, thanks for uh, to, to Stefan Nicole and Phil Webb who, who has yeah. worked a lot on, on, on that. So uh, I think we don't have a dogmatic approach when we are looking to zero reflection because some there is various type of reflection and some of them are not costly at all. Some of them are, are super costly. So we try to to focus to remove uh, to remove the most uh, the most costly uh, mechanism. I I, th I think the the foundation and the APIs we have uh, are, are are super flexible and will allow us to do quite a lot of change underneath without breaking the public APIs. So this is the most important point. Uh, I'm 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 not sure about all the details because this time I have not worked on everything. So you should interview Stefan Nicole, for example, that will give you all the low level details about yeah. uh, what what we what we do differently or, or, or not. But um, I, I think we have a pretty uh, pretty pretty powerful mechanism that uh, allow us to remove most of the reflection that that was painful and basically that allow um, the, the graph VM engine uh, to just understand the, the, the spring uh, cut path out of, out of the box. Okay. Um, I, I, I think this is the most, uh, the most important point. Right. Out of the box compatibility is a big deal, especially with something as big as spring, right? Uh, something so entrenched and pervasive. Uh, and, 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 and it's not it's not just about spring because obviously there is also the reflection the reflection used by the libraries etc. Yeah. So uh, we have also in parallel some. It's not like GraalVM native image is something that is uh, uh, fixed, uh, and we 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 can't uh, um, we can't have an impact on that. So um, a, a big part of our work is working and co collaborating with the GraalVM team. We have weekly meetings with them. Uh, wow. To report bugs, uh, remove warnings, do more optimization, uh, and, and we are working on some very core uh, uh, issues and differences compare when you compare G GVM and native. So, for example, uh, we have been working with them on inlining, so uh, build time inlining and improving this kind of mechanism to uh, uh, remove automatically some code from the runtime path if the patterns are simple enough. Yeah. Uh, we are working with them to make this mechanism more explicit. So currently, you have inlining of very simple function and very simple reflection calls when uh, everything uh, in parameter is a constant. Okay, that's automatic. And we have seen with them that it would be interesting to have an explicit signal to be able to say maybe this method uh, should be inline at build time. And by design, you can't really guess it automatically because that's a semantic that is really missing in the Java language. So we are experimenting about providing more uh, explicit behavior to say maybe inline this uh, this mechanism, inline this method 
inline this field uh, computatically. And I, I really believe this is the, the future of, of native image because currently we have a lot of compatibility issues are coming from this uh, class build-time initialization that is required to get a good footprint for various use cases. Yeah. Spring Native is still using some a small amount of build-time uh, uh, class initialization for, for some, some places. In Spring Boot 3, we are trying to reach no or almost no build-time initialization while wow. still get, getting the, the, the nice footprints of, uh, that comes from uh, the fact that you remove some code at build-time. So we are trying to work on some mechanism on Spring side and collaborating with the GraalVM team to try to keep the benefits or this nice code removal uh, that native image provide at build time leveraging the closed world assumption, but without the compatibility issues and the maintainability issues that are caused by what we call the GraalVM substitution, basically patching some code right. uh, uh, that just not maintainable from a security perspective, maintenance perspective, that's a nightmare. And this right. build time class initialization this is a viral behavior that introduced at some point some blocking compatibility issues, and, and you can't support the GVM ecosystem if you go too far in, into that. So, right, yeah, that that that's a collaboration we have with the GraalVM team, and in addition to the work we do on the Spring side, we are trying to make native image and GraalVM better uh, in order to support uh, more use cases and get GVM and native uh, closer uh, and, and limit the differences. Try to avoid to have too much, two different super, two super different Java behavior. Uh, sure, there will be differences, but we try to limit them and to make it possible to test the AOT slash native behavior on the right. GVM to get yeah. this, this short uh, development loop. So uh, that's a oh wow. Uh, so when you talked about inlining, is that kind of like in Kotlin the yep. inline? Yeah. Okay, that's interesting. When that. I hope maybe one day this gets put into Java itself. You know, it's so useful in Kotlin. That that would um, be interesting. So I, I I think we are, yeah, we are going to experiment and play with maybe annotations or thing like that. But ultimately, that could be interesting to see that uh, directly in the Java language. We, yeah. we are not here yet. I know there is project laden. Uh, 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 honestly, currently the the GraalVM native work and, and laden are really. Two distinct things uh, mm -hmm. uh, worked by two different teams, so I'm not sure how that will evolve. But uh, like Kotlin has pushed Java to evolve faster, at least that's my mm -hmm. <laughs> that's my perception. Uh, I have the feeling that uh, native and GraalVM also push the GVM with Project Laden. Uh, that's that's obvious. Uh, to to also in the GVM to provide. Uh, um, yeah, uh, more aggressive optimization by uh, removing a little bit of Java dynamicity that we don't really use all yeah. the time in all kinds of application. And I, I think that's great and that's super healthy great for, for Java. And, and the great thing is that all the work we did on Spring IoT on this ahead of time engine uh, could be used for Laden, could be used for some other use cases because that's yeah. a neutral way to do build-time optimization. So native is a use case, but I'm pretty sure there will be other use cases for, for, for Laden, even if we are not sure what Laden will be, uh, honestly. Right, and I saw I, you saw the most recent uh, update, of course, for the community, though. The, the Laden team finally came back out and yeah. talked about the, what they're doing, because it's been a year, I think, uh, at yeah. least yeah. since we heard from them. 
Uh, and uh, basically they're saying that they've changed their focus to not be GraalVM, but on the JVM. Instead, they're going to be introducing a series of changes to make Java more lightweight for certain definitions of lightweight. And um, I mean, good. You know, it, it, it seems like a progressive approach. Right now, if you're doing GraalVM, uh, you know, if, if, if you're listening to this podcast, you already know that it takes a significant amount of work to make your average Java application yeah. <laughs> work on a GraalVM uh, context. That's, you know, like we said, it's been three years already and we're still not there. Um, uh, but uh, but uh, the idea that you could get some efficiencies out of the JVM by small, with small concessions, I, you know, that would be wonderful. And since we've already done that work, you know, to describe everything that a build time tool would need to optimize the, 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 the code, why not just reuse that? That'd be great. Exactly. And I think with this kind of move, uh, there is a lot of inertia uh, that's expected. <clears throat> and, and it's, it's, it's a multifactorial evolution because libraries need to progress to maybe uh, do a little bit less reflection at runtime and maybe uh, make those reflection or dynamic uh, mechanism like proxies, et cetera, more predictable at build time. So mm -hmm. the libraries are slowly evolving. There is an evolution of these libraries. They are beginning to provide those runtime ins metadata uh, that allow native, but also maybe tomorrow laden to know uh, in advance what kind of uh, uh, dynamic call will be will be done and allow cut shrinking more more, more aggressive cut shrinking uh, i'm i'm pretty sure even if these those are separated efforts uh, uh, laden team get some inspiration from the native team but also yeah. I, I think the gvm team will also provide something different and that's why i like the new laden approach it's not Let's try to do uh, a GraalVM native uh, on GVM side uh, because that's different teams. It's it's more let's provide a different added value. Let's provide a more progressive approach. Uh, so in the end, I, I think both native and what will be the result of laden will be useful. Uh, native will be a more um, uh, not extreme but uh, <laughs> ambitious yeah. approach and and with more <laughs> more impact so indeed to run an application than native you are you are more work and maybe the compatibility will be different and that's a slightly different behavior of java uh, the gvm approach will be more progressive so the gain will be maybe different uh, yeah. so I, I think that's great because the different value proposition with different uh, cost and impacts and yeah. uh, with the Spring IoT engine, we, we are preparing uh, the future for both. And we will adapt for both. And uh, happy to collaborate with the Leiden team as well uh, in order to provide feedback from the Spring team. Uh, I think we will be super happy about that. I do too. I can't wait to see what happens here. I was wondering about what Leiden would do because they announced it, I don't know, two years ago, something like this, a year ago. Mm -hmm. uh, the pandemic, uh, all the time shrinks together. I don't remember. It blurs together. But um. Mm -hmm. They announced it in the pandemic, in the in the worst of it, and uh, it was a little bit of light in the in that dark time because I remember thinking, "Gosh, you know, wouldn't it be nice if these two teams were not working separately?" Imagine if they put their resources together, you know. Um, and I think yeah. GraalVM is a is a miracle. I mean, it has done it has changed the Java ecosystem for the better, uh, obviously, but uh, but still, it'd be nice if we could take some of those things and gradually reduce the need for some of the mechanisms in GraalVM so that they're supported out of the box. 
uh, yeah, which job that's, itself. That's different. I, I was initially thinking uh, also that, but I mean, that's different style. I mean, GraalVM is on Oracle Labs. Uh, they have a different mindset. Uh, they are moving forward some, to some topic uh, uh, with some, yeah, di different way, more risk, more uh, R&D style. Uh, why the GVM uh, team has uh, dif different, uh, want to do different things. So uh, again, I, I think the fact that the outcome will be different, uh, it, it will provide two different ways to run uh, uh, Java. Maybe ultimately there will be some kind of big merge, but <laughs> maybe not before 10 years, I, I'm not sure. Uh, well, I don't uh, think there's going to be a big merge. I just think that the work in Laden will necessarily reduce some of the work that GraalVM has to do. I, I yeah, think there's so always going to be a GraalVM. So that, that's very true. And I really, uh, one of the most painful points on the GraalVM side, and I'm not a compiler engineer, but I, I discuss a lot with them, is when they they need to do some changes on the GVM side, on the GDK side. Uh, and I really think that the changes they will need to do for Layden yeah. uh, will be useful for the GraalVM team. And I hope there will be some pragmatic collaboration between both teams. At least I have the feeling that technically, there is shared interest into providing some mechanism to handle most closed world assumptions on the GVM side and the GDK side. And that could benefit to, yeah, providing a more static, static slash native behavior of Java. Uh, could be static without to be to be native. And, and also, even if maybe the gain will be more less uh, uh, crazy on the, the laden side, you will keep some yeah. advantages of the GVM because currently I have some some funny discussion with people. Okay, so I'm building. When you are building containers, you are building for a specific architecture. While the, on the GVM side, we we are independent of that. So it will be interesting to see how that impacts the way you deploy Java application to to the cloud. Uh, since uh, on GVM side uh, with the bytecode, we are more flexible. Uh, so yeah, let, let's see how it goes. Awesome. And, and obviously this is this work, you know, we've just, we've just talked about one big use case, which is GraalVM today mm -hmm. for, you know, as we speak, but obviously there's a new possibility that some of the work that we're doing in spring AOT and spring framework six and spring boot three will serve laden in the future. We don't know yet, but it seems very plausible. Uh, having the ability for Java to be dynamic at runtime, but also provide the information required to support a closed world build time opens up some new possibilities. And I noticed that one of the things that you're working on recently um, is a, as kind of like a little side project, I guess, mm -hmm. or a little, little itch scratch uh, is WebAssembly, which I think is really phenomenal. What's, what's going on there? Ah uh, yeah, WebAssembly. So I, I I really believe in WebAssembly uh, since its inception in in twenty sixteen. Um, mm -hmm. I believe in that technology not only for the the on the browser side but also for for server side workload. So just a quick introduction about wh what WebAssembly is. Uh, WebAssembly is sometimes abbreviated WASM. Okay, this is the same thing. Uh, it's a binary instruction format for the stack based uh, for stack based virtual machines. So Based on that definition, that close to what GVM bytecode is, but uh, and, and WASM is also designed to be a portable compilation target for for, for programming languages, but yeah. it's 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 different compared to GVM because it can target um, 
It can be a suitable target for native languages. So for example, you can compile efficiently C, C++, Rust uh, to WebAssembly. You don't have to uh, use a garbage collector. It's a much more uh, a restrained amount of uh, opcode. So it's, it's, it's much simpler, uh, but at the same time, it can do much less thing. And, and what is interesting in WebAssembly is that you have WebAssembly MVP, so most viable product. It's WebAssembly 1.0, which is currently supported by all the major browsers. Okay, so in Chrome, in Firefox, Safari, etc., you can today run WebAssembly workload directly in your browser. So it's historically you had just JavaScript, and all the languages had to compile JavaScript to, to JavaScript, and we were saying that JavaScript was the bytecode of the web. Uh, that's not true anymore. JavaScript, it's it is not the bytecode of the web. Uh, uh, WebAssembly is, and right. you can imagine that it's pretty uh, complicated to translate Java behavior when you transpile to JavaScript because not the same numeric types, etc. That that can lead yeah. to crazy bugs, etc. WebAssembly is a suitable compilation target uh, that can achieve close to native performances. We have something wow. close to twenty percent lower performance compared to native. Uh, that's you native as in GraalVM or native as in on the JRE? Now, uh, like native, if you were developing that in C++ and you run it uh, uh, in your uh, native architecture. So wow. you, you are paying a little bit, uh, a little cost for the abstraction, but it's designed to be super efficient. Uh, so typically right. you can, that's a suitable target for for games, for uh, machine learning, for very compute-intensive stuff. Uh, right. But there is also a lot of proposals that allow to extend WebAssembly. Uh, it's not, uh, so for example, there is the garbage collector proposal, there is the exception handling proposal uh, that allow WebAssembly to be a suitable compilation target for higher level languages like Kotlin, like <coughs> Java, uh, like this kind of languages. And what we see, uh, uh, what we have seen for the past uh, two years is that more and more languages announced that they are going to compile to uh, WebAssembly. Uh, so .NET, uh, in .NET 7, they are working hard uh, on compiling front-end application, but also back-end application to WebAssembly. Is it Razor? Yeah, Blazor for front-end. Blazor. Uh, and in WebAssembly world, there is this thing called WASI. So WASI is maybe the thing I'm the most interested in and the mo most excited about. WASI is basically the POSIX of WebAssembly. So initially, WebAssembly uh, uh, has been designed to work in the in the uh, web browser. Okay, so you can run some code efficiently uh, in Chrome, in Firefox, etc. Uh, uh, but uh, WebAssembly um, basically a WebAssembly engine can be integrated into a host. So the host could be a, a web browser. But it could be also your operating system, uh, your cloud infrastructure, your edge platform. And so right. WASI is uh, the POSIX of WebAssembly. So it defines how you can open a socket, uh, write to a file, uh, list, uh, yeah, interact with your operating system without having through a, a, a layer of, um, of JavaScript interoperability code, et cetera. Uh -huh. So if you compile your, uh, so in theory, I don't say, that will exist tomorrow, okay? But in theory, you could compile your Spring Boot application uh, to WASI and make it run on your operating system by running uh, uh, myapplication.wasm instead of 
uh, myapplication.jar or myapplication.exe if you are using native image. So uh, again, I don't say tomorrow you will run your Spring Boot application uh, to Wasm. Uh, that's maybe not the, the most the most uh, 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 appealing uh, use cases and there is still a lot of work to be able to do that. But we begin to see companies like, uh, so JetBrains is working on compiling Kotlin to Wasm with the Kotlin slash Wasm project. Yeah. Uh, there is Google uh, with the G2CL project is working on compiling Java uh, to WebAssembly, uh, mostly for front-end purpose. They have announced that in the recent Google I.O. So this is done by the with the G2CL project, uh, which was initially designed to compile Java to JavaScript via the Google Closure compiler. And right. they, are, they are currently adding WebAssembly support uh, in addition to the JavaScript <coughs> support. So I, I think that opens the door to non-JavaScript language. Currently, to do a nice front-end, uh, you need to use JavaScript or TypeScript, which is based on JavaScript. And all the other languages are kind of second-class citizen. Uh, oh, yeah. With WebAssembly, you can write some code that run in your browser or even on your server uh, in, a, in a flexible way uh, with the C, C++, uh, Tomorrow, Kotlin, uh, Swift, uh, .NET, etc. So it's really opening a, a lot of doors for other languages than JavaScript. It's opening right. the web support for C, C++, Rust. Uh, so I, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty excited about this technology. So is what is the... I mean, I'm I'm excited about what you just said, but then it occurred to me it may not be clear uh, why you'd want to do this in the first place. Like, if I can already run JavaScript in the browser and I can already run Java on the command line, what's missing? What 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 new opportunities does having WebAssembly offer yeah. a Python programmer, a .NET programmer, a Go programmer? Yeah, so very 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 good question. So uh, I think maybe that's interesting to focus on the use cases. Uh, to try to shape a, a picture about why people could be interested to use WebAssembly. The first use case is the first use case compiling games to run in the browser, compiling uh, compute intensive uh, workloads to run in the browser in a very efficient manner. Okay, so machine learning, etc. Uh, this use case is interesting, for example, for efficiency. Uh, but also for, for privacy reason. I mean, if you want to process some sensitive data, like some health-related data or whatever, and you don't want to send those data in the cloud, uh, I have already seen some health provider that are processing the, the document directly in the browser of the user in edge fashion without having to send anything on the cloud. So that's a diff different ec economical model. From a right. privacy perspective, uh, that changes a lot of things. Uh, you can run some, yeah, pretty compute intensive uh, uh, workload on on the on the client side. Uh, so I think that's open new doors for privacy, security, efficiency reasons. Ah, that's, is this that's a, so? Is, yeah. is this? Are we just trying to get back the richness of applets? Is that what this is? Uh, uh, I think that's a little bit different, but in some sense, yeah, you 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 will be able to run. I mean, with JavaScript, we can do so many things. I don't think that will change dramatically that, but I think you can do that yeah. in a much more uh, efficient and powerful fashion. I, I, I think um, uh, something interesting about WebAssembly also is that by default, 
uh, you can't do anything. Okay, by default, you can do pure computation, and you will define uh, it's coming from the web, so like Node.js and uh, others, mm -hmm. uh, like excuse me, a workload that is running in the browser. You will have to explicitly enable all the native call, all the I/O calls that will be performed. So I think the second use case is security, even on the on the server side. By default, you can do nothing uh, except pure computation and uh, the embedder of the WebAssembly engine. So there is a WebAssembly engine like Wasm Time, for example, uh, or the Wasm engine that will be provided by your cloud provider tomorrow. Uh, you will have to explicitly enable in a declarative fashion that you can open this port, a little bit like you do with Docker, but right. in a much more efficient fashion. So if you compare, for example, let's say I want to run my JavaScript workload, okay? Because uh, you can run JavaScript workloads inside WebAssembly. So what is the interest of that? Uh, uh, for example, footprints uh, is, an, is an interesting point of view. If you want to chip your container with your Node.js uh, instance, and you are running a small JavaScript function that is doing small computation, like addition or, or whatever, you have a pretty wide stack. That's the same for Java and for other technologies. You have to chip a container, uh, which has a subset of an OS. You have to chip right. the, the JVM runtime. With native, we're trying to provide a thinner approach, okay? With right. just a native executable. With WebAssembly, WebAssembly is secure by default, so you don't have to isolate that into a container. You will right. directly write your WASM, uh, compile to WASM, uh, add some declarative stuff to say, uh, you will need to open this port and open this directory, just that. And your cloud provider will directly run this WASM workload without <clears> having <throat> to chip uh, a container with an additional ah. runtime, et cetera. So in terms of footprints, you have something, I mean, uh, it, it could be 10 really depends, but 100, uh, 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 100 times smaller because mm -hmm. you are just shipping your very small uh, WebAssembly stuff. You don't have to chip a container. You don't have to chip another runtime. And since WebAssembly is a suitable target for all languages, you can see this kind of ubiquitous uh, compilation target uh, that can be interesting from a security and uh, efficiency perspective. So I think that's another use case is getting uh, uh, more efficient and, and more secured uh, workloads. And yeah. it's a kind of trade-off between what we have on the GVM and, and native, because basically, I don't want to oversimplify, but you are more efficient than container plus native on the GVM, yeah. but you keep the flexibility to have a non-architecture-specific compilation target. So uh, you just have to deploy your WASM thing. You don't have to say, okay, is MATLAB provider working yeah. with ARM or x86 or whatever, RISC-V future compilation target? Right. It's more ubiquitous. Uh, the, the last uh, use case I can describe is maybe the, the plugins mechanism, because again, the WebAssembly engine uh, will just do, do pure computation. So the, the biggest use case I see currently is a, a, a software that wants to provide a plugin system. They begin to provide WebAssembly plugin system where they just expose a specific API and people can use whatever language to implement uh, to implement that. But the big so point, yeah. How does that work? The exposure. So, from the perspective of a host system that has plugins, mm -hmm. um, I want to you know the plugin pattern. You have a core SPI. You have an SPI yeah, yeah. that the plugins implement, yeah. and then there's some context that gets fed in. How is it like NPM? Like NPM modules? Like how do I? 
what's the exports mechanism uh, that's like? that's that's a very very good question and that's really what is missing to really uh 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 increase very significantly uh how much wasm is is used uh, wasm by default just deal with integers and floats okay it's super basics uh and currently there is no standardization of uh higher level types uh like strings enums classes etc there is not really standardization of that so every plugin system is doing its own uh let's convert uh, integers floats and pointers to high level types and there is no really interoperability a new proposal that is maybe the most important thing that currently happens uh, in the WebAssembly ecosystem is the WebAssembly component model, uh, uh, which is basically exactly what you you, you mentioned, uh, a way, a standardized way to define imports, exports with rich types, right. enums, uh, strings, uh, classes, etc., cetera, uh, with binding with every languages, Python, Java, JavaScript, uh, whatever. And this is an effort that is currently led by uh, Luke Wagner, um, uh, who is working at, at Fastly. And it's still under uh, uh, AV work, so work in progress. But uh, uh, there is a beginning of uh, support uh, that is currently, uh, uh, that will arrive very, very shortly. And once you have this WebAssembly component model support, you have all the pieces, because you can define in a neutral way uh, the APIs. You have the yeah. implementation that can be done in every every language is possible. So what I can imagine in terms of use case is consumer of the plugins will be uh, uh, high level languages, Java, Kotlin, Swift, etc. Sure. Low, low level implementation of the of the components will be typically done in Rust, for example, super efficient, mm -hmm. no GC, or, or maybe ju we just reuse C C plus plus existing libraries to do machine right. learning or whatever. <laughs> And WebAssembly component model provide an efficient way and standardized way to plug these two worlds. Uh, and oh. uh, that will be basically the, the, the ultimate plugin SPI uh, model that will uh, apply to everything. We will see how it goes. I know a lot of other companies and organisms have tried to standardize component model in a super neutral way. I see very closely the work that Luke Wagner and the, the, the WebAssembly teams are doing. Uh, honestly, I really have the feeling that this, this time they have learned from the error of the past. And this seems to provide a, a, a very flexible system that will be that will allow to create a new ecosystem. So like currently you have this NPM ecosystem <laughs> or this right. Java ecosystem with Maven Central. There will be a cross-language ecosystem of WebAssembly component uh, of WebAssembly components that will wow. be usable very easily in every languages, and and that's interesting because uh, honestly, I'm fed up with the tech silos and the, the Java community work with the Java community. Uh, uh, Kotlin tried to break these silos with Kotlin multi-platform, but that's difficult. Uh, yeah, Python community, uh, JavaScript community, Java community, and we have all our favorite use cases, and we we don't really speak each other uh, that much. And WebAssembly no. is really going to break some silos by allowing to develop front-end and back-end with the same language if you want, uh, by allowing to use Rust bits in Java if you want in a seamless way, and have this neutral way of defining components 
So I expect there will be some kind of WebAssembly component repository uh, right. that will be implemented in various languages and that will be consumed by other other languages. And I think that will really sh shape in a different way the tech ecosystem. In the so we can all link to everything else. Like I, yeah. if somebody writes an encryption library in C, I can link to that from my Java program and then my Java program can be used by some JavaScript program and that, Whatever, that's that's you know. already what I, I have. I have uh, written some prototypes like a Java application that is using a Rust uh, encryption library uh, because there is some very, very nice one. Uh, so basically that will replace also GNI and not replace, but that will be an alternative to the current use case we have currently with GNI. I have uh, some prototypes of uh, Rust uh, server-side applications, so Rust web server that compile to uh, WASM and that can be deployed to any kind of system uh, without having to be tied to a specific architecture, uh, plugin systems, uh, code sharing between client and, and backend. Uh, yeah, lots of wow. crazy use cases. Wow. Um, yeah, I can't, oh, wow. Ima that, imagine mobile, imagine uh, yeah. iOS. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. iOS and, and WebAssembly does not force to use a GC. So it it should be compatible with uh, uh, with the Apple guidelines to to build application. Currently, the two companies that are really pushing very hard and investing very hard uh, in WebAssembly are Google and Fastly. Google more for the front end use case for now, and Fastly is leading right. the server side WASI approach. Um, VMware, uh, I, I have announced that yesterday, so that's a good timing. Uh, VMware has joined the Bytecode Alliance, which is basically an organization that is building the future of WebAssembly, especially focused on the server-side use case. And yesterday, uh, I have shared that uh, VMware has officially joined the Bytecode Alliance to work on that. So wow. there may be some 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 yeah some related work uh, in the future. We, we we will see. But I I really yeah I I'm not sure how fast that will be because. That's pretty challenging, uh, but I, sure. I really have the feeling that this WebAssembly component model, uh, WASI, and uh, the possibilities that, that are now uh, available on the front end to develop with other languages than JavaScript, including native languages like Rust, C++, will provide some game-changing uh, uh, use cases for privacy, security, efficiency, etc. So yeah, I, I don't say tomorrow you will compile Again, Spring Boot application to 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 Wasi because we have the JVM, we have native. Uh, it will be a huge amount of work because yeah, the, the output will be much bigger than what you have in Rust, for example. But conceptually, yeah. this, this is what the .NET team is doing uh, in .NET seven. The .NET team is working, and there is already available demos. You create a web server with C sharp, okay? You compile mm -hmm. it to Wasi and you are able to run it on any cloud platform or edge platform that supports uh, WASM. Wow. And in terms of cloud edge platform, I really think that would be uh, yeah, a game changer. But Huge. We'll, see. we'll see. We'll see. I will look forward to having you back to talk about that and whatever else you're, you're working on. You uh, always have interesting stuff. Um, where can people find you on the internet if you want to be found? Uh, mainly on Twitter, uh, so S Deleuze on Twitter, uh, and uh, S D E yeah. S D E L E U Z E. 
Exactly. Okay. <laughs> uh, and that's the place where you can uh, reach me. So feel free to provide feedbacks. Uh, if you don't believe in the topics I push, provide feedbacks about that. If you are excited about native, about Wasm, about Spring, about a bit of time transformation, yeah, feel free to to reach out and, and discuss. Happy to, my, my, my direct messages are open. Feel free to interact. Uh, happy to discuss with the community and, and refine uh, uh, the various topics I have mentioned. You're amazing. Um, where should people go if they want to learn more about some of the stuff we talked about today? Yeah, so um, we are going to provide for each upcoming uh, Spring Boot Free Millestones and Spring Farmworks Millestone, we are going to provide additional information in the blog post of spring.io. We are going to do several talks uh, about those topics in the upcoming uh, conferences. I, I think you have some a very interesting talk by Stefan Nicole and Brian Pozel at uh, Spring.io Barcelona uh, uh, 2022, that uh, where you can find the most up-to-date information about AOT and native support in Spring Boot Free. So I will recommend right. that. If you want to hear the more about the, the final support, uh, you can book uh, your ticket for uh, uh, for our upcoming uh, uh, Spring One uh, uh, occurrence in December at San Francisco. Uh, there will be talks mm -hmm. about that. And awesome. uh, yeah, we will provide updates in the Spring IO blog uh, with various blog posts about uh, about that. And, and try the milestones, provide feedbacks. I, th I think in the current milestone, yeah, that's really basic support, but the, the next Spring Boot Free milestone it you sh you should begin to play uh, with it instead of using Spring Native. Provide feedbacks because we are currently redirecting our workforce from Spring Native to Spring Boot Free uh, milestones. So really, the next Spring Boot Free uh, milestones, try it with Native, try it with AOT, with your workloads. Provide feedbacks and help us to to reach uh, a great uh, level of support for Spring Boot Free uh, OGA. Wonderful. All right, my friend. Thank you so very much for everything you do and for taking the time today. I appreciate it. Thanks for inviting me. A beautiful podcast is produced by me, Josh Long. I do these podcasts because I believe that everything we do in software is for and made better by people. I want to hear from you. I'm Josh at joshlong.com by email or at S-T-A-R-B-U-X-M-A-N on Twitter, where, of course, my direct messages are wide open. Do you have guest ideas, topic suggestions, feedback? Don't hesitate to reach out. If you like the show, then please consider rating it on iTunes and leaving a review, uh, as it really helps the show. I sampled music from Steve Combs's Them from Morning and Springtime and Steve Combs's Small Victory, both of which are licensed under a Creative Commons license. I'm trying to hire production assistants to make the production of this podcast easier. I want to make sure that we can add things like show notes and transcripts and, and just generally do more. If you would like to advertise on the show, then please reach out to me. Uh, and if you can't uh, or don't want to advertise but would like to otherwise support the show, then please consider supporting me at patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash Josh Long for as low as $4 a month. Thanks again. No harm came to any seasons in the making of this podcast.